What's going on, good people, and welcome to another episode of Live by the Three with your boy Curly. To all the returning listeners, welcome back. To first-time listeners, thank you for joining me. And we have an entertaining episode for you all today. The NBA All-Star Weekend it has begun. We're definitely going to be touching on that. But before we get into that, we had three Raptors games that transpired before the All-Star break. So let's get right into it. On February 12th, the Raptors took on the Denver Nuggets. The Raptors are at home. The Nuggets were coming off a back-to-back having played the Celtics in a hard-fought game, which they lost, so you definitely thought that the Raptors would have been able to take advantage of a team coming off back-to-back and, again, off a hard-fought game. If you listened to the previous episode when I previewed the Nuggets-Raptors game, I said not to allow Jokic dictate the game. Well, that's exactly what happened. I also mentioned that the, Ra- uh, the Raptors need to take care of business out in transition because the Nuggets like to get up and down the floor. Well, that also happened. And Jokic was able to establish himself early. At some points of the game, we had OG guarding Jokic. Now, I've mentioned this before, and if I haven't, I'm going to reinforce this. I don't like OG guarding bigs. We haven't seen success of that lately. It did not happen against Jokic. It did not happen against Nurkic. We also saw him guarding Porzingis. Definitely don't like the matchup, so Nick Nurse definitely has to make the adjustment there. But nonetheless, Jokic imposed his will early. If there's any time that we needed a big, it was definitely in this game. Nonetheless, the Raptors kept it competitive and eventually got out to a one-point lead at the half, 57-56. to One highlight I would like to mention, Delano Banton made an appearance. He was having a positive impact on the game and a fun fact up until that point out of the last 11 games nine of them delano banton had a positive plus minus and with it being on the positive side and limited opportunities that is definitely a very good sign in the second half now the nuggets began to get out in transition as much as they possibly could The Raptors were falling asleep in transition and it led out to easy buckets and it later became a track meet. The Raptors answered with runs of their own. It became a back and forth game of runs. Well, fast forward to the fourth quarter. The Nuggets eventually took the lead around the 448 mark again in the fourth. Well, fast forward to the last 38 seconds where the Nuggets had a two point lead 108 to 106 and it became a four point lead off of a Will Barton fadeaway, giving the Nuggets 110 to 106 lead with 28.3 seconds left. In these late game situations, you definitely want the ball in Siakam and Freddie's hand. And that's exactly what happened off of a Siakam dish. Freddie hit a big three, bringing the game within one, 110 to 109. In the next possession, Jokic got fouled. He missed two free throws and the Raptors had a chance to take the lead with seven seconds left off another Siakam dish in the identical spot. Freddie went for another three and he missed it. Now you can argue whether it was necessary to go for the three, but Freddie just hit one in the exact spot and we have to work with what the defense was giving us, especially with the way that they were clogging up the paint. Did not mind the shot. He missed it. OG got the offensive rebound. 
having inside possession with 2.4 seconds left. He went back up and Jokic blocked him and that was the game. Now, with OG getting inside position, maybe the late game scenario played a factor in him just trying to go very safely up for that layup. It was a very soft attempt. You definitely want him to go up with a little bit more force or better yet, more urgency, especially with a big like Jokic in there, you kind of just telegraph the play and it ended up being the block and ended up being the game. The Raptors lost 110 to 109, bringing the eight game win streak to an end in a hard fought game. The Raptors did have a, a late game lead and it's one of those things once again where the raptors lose a fourth quarter lead it's been going on all season long i sound like a broken record but that's exactly what happened the nuggets shot 39 for 84 from the field giving them 46 percent 14 for 37 from three giving them 38 percent and they took care of business from the line 18 for 21 giving them 86 percent from the free throw line the Raptors shot 43 for 88, giving them 49% from the field, 12 for 34, giving them 35% from the three-point line. And they unfortunately did not take care of business from the line, giving them 11 for 17 at 65%. Now, it seems to be the same old thing that's costing the Raptors games. They are not taking care of the fundamentals, which is the transition defense and the free throws once again. And we are losing close games. The Raptors were led by Pascal, who had a double-double with 35 points, 10 rebounds. Freddie had 25 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds. And Scotty Barnes had a good game at uh, with 17 points. For the Nuggets, Jokic had a big game, 28 points, 15 rebounds, giving him a double-double. Jeff Green was their second leading scorer with 19 points. And Aaron Gordon with 13. So you hit a couple free throws, you get a different outcome in this game. Uh, it was unfortunate that the Raptors lost this one the way that they did. But again, it's one of those things where it's a common theme for this season. You just want them to knock down free throws. And we're moving on to the Pelicans that happened on Valentine's Day. There was nothing lovely about this game on February 14th. So I'm not going to spend much time talking about it. The Raptors had rest. They were playing the Pelicans in their home arena. And the Raptors just came out slow out of the gate. The Pelicans dictated everything just from an effort and energy standpoint. The Raptors were not able to match it. The Pelicans were getting out in transition. But the more important thing to note is that they were taking high percentage shots and every shot will be high percentage if they were if you're being left open. And that's exactly what happened. The Raptors weren't in it. And again, we had OG guarding Jonas Valanciunas and you could only imagine how that went down to make matters worse. We lost Freddie in the third quarter due to right knee soreness and it ended up being a bruised right knee and he ended up missing the next game which i think was a smart move it's his first all-star appearance you definitely don't want him to miss out on that especially in a blowout game and that's exactly what it was the raptors lost 120 to 90 
the Pelicans shot 45 for 77, giving them 58% from the field, 16 for 35, giving them 46% from three. They took care of business from the free throw line, shooting 14 for 16 at 88%. The Raptors did not shoot equally as well. They shot 29 for 95, giving them 30% from the field, 8 for 34, giving them 24% from the three-point line, and 24 for 31 from the free throw line at 77%. So again, a lot of those free throws came in garbage time. Nick Nurse emptied the bench. Not a whole lot going on in that game. Uh, Freddie ended up leaving the game and still leading the way with 20 points. Pascal had 18 and Chris Boucher had 15 for the Pelicans. Quiet night from Brandon, Brandon Ingram, but had a positive playmaking impact on the game a la Pascal Siakam with 10 points, 11 rebounds and eight assists mccullum led the way in scoring with 23 points and valachunas like i said had a field day especially on og with 18 points and nine rebounds so again not a lot to reflect on this game they just got blown out they came out flat and that's pretty much the game and that brings us to our last game on february 16th where the raptors were taking on the minnesota timberwolves on the road without our leader Fred Van Vliet and prior to this game I didn't think that the T-Wolves and the Raptors had similarities but when the game started we play the similar type of basketball similarly to the Miami Heat so it seems like we have a doppelganger in the Western Conference as well and the T-Wolves being coached by former Raptors coach Chris Finch but before the game started and this was an entertaining game Patrick Beverly being Patrick Beverly, and if you know him, he's a pest, he's annoying. He tried to get into Gary Trent's head before the ball was even tipped off. Gary Trent, as we know, does not back down. He did not back down from Patrick Beverly. It ended up leading to a warning to both teams in regards to how the game would have been dictated. Well, we, we later on find out that that only applied in favor of the Timberwolves. The Raptors were not getting calls in their early going, but both teams came out firing, getting out in transition, hitting high percentage shots. And like I said, Gary Trent is not the one to be messed with. He ended up scoring 13 points in the first quarter. It was just a back and forth game throughout. Unfortunately, the T-Wolves were the ones getting favorable calls. The Raptors ended up losing losing the lead and had to play catch up. And they were able to do that in the fourth quarter with a late push. And it was being done with their defense. Their Raptors defense just ramped up. They were forcing the T-Wolves into bad shots, forcing turnovers, getting out in transition being led by the likes of Malachi Flynn. I love the energy that he brought. Delano Banton did that for us in the first half. Flynn was doing it for us in the second half. The Raptors eventually got out to a lead and around the 150 mark of the fourth quarter off a huge Chris Boucher block led to Siakam rebounding the ball, passing it off to Gary Trent Jr. for a three and 
that was the ball game. The Raptors ended up winning 103 to 91 in a very entertaining game. It's probably one of the most entertaining games I've seen so far this season. It had the ups and downs, the Raptors were down and they were able to weather the storm and take over the game when they needed to. Again, with their defense, the Raptors shot 40 for 88 from the field, giving them 46%, eight for 25 from three, giving them 30, 32%. The Raptors took care of business from the line, shooting 15 for 19, giving them 79% for their free throws. The Wolves shot 30 for 77, giving them 39% from the field, 10 for 42 from three, giving them 24%, my apologies. Got to the line quite a bit, but was not able to knock them down as much as the Raptors did. 21 for 29, giving them 72%. The Raptors were led by Gary Trent, who had a monster game, scoring 30 points, hitting five threes. Siakam had a quiet night, but almost a triple-double, 17 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists for the T-Wolves, being led by Carl Anthony Towns. He had 24 points and 11 rebounds, giving him a double-double. And Jaden McDaniels, who has quietly put together a solid season in comparison to last season and has become a very reliable piece for the T-Wolves, gave them 18 points off the bench. So after those few games played, a few things stood out to me. And one of them being how much we really need an inside presence having a big. And we've seen some quality minutes from Ken Birch. I love the idea of having Birch starting. Whether that happens, I'm not too sure. It is something that we're going to discuss later on in the episode. But I definitely love the the consistent presence that he he brings he stays within himself he sticks to the game plan he's not the biggest but he has the long wingspan he, ha he has the athleticism where he can be a reliable shot blocker if he's given the opportunity but we saw what happened with Jokic we saw what happened with Valanciunas and he was able to start against Carl Anthony Towns and it definitely made a difference so definitely would love to see some sort of presence either being birch or quite possibly boucher whose energy and effort stood out especially in the timberwolves victory another thing we need to start making free throws doesn't get any simpler than that we lost too many games by missing free throws and narrowly losing these games by one or two points would definitely make a difference if we can start hitting free throw so i don't know what nick nurse has to do maybe he needs to dedicate an entire practice to the raptors just making free throws but we need to start taking care of business from the line on a more consistent basis one thing i forgot to mention in the minnesota game was the energy and effort that thaddeus young gave us off the bench he seems like he's been playing with us for years and I definitely loved what he was bringing off the bench, almost being that spark plug that we sometimes have missed, 
especially with these tighter rotations. I just hope that Nick Nurse will be able to play him on a more consistent basis in comparison to the other guys off the bench. Speaking of the bench, I love the energy that Banton and Flynn brought to this game. They were pushing the ball out in transition and their energy and effort was a welcome sight. They were able to impact the game, almost sway the game, especially Flynn in the later parts of the game into the Raptors favor, creating open opportunities for us in transition. I just wish that we can see that from them in a more consistent role. Hopefully it's a sign of good things to come for those young guys. So we are at the all-star break. The Raptors are sitting currently at the seventh spot with 32 wins, 25 losses. How do we feel about them? Have they exceeded expectations? Are they right where they're supposed to be? Have they not met expectations? Now, before the season started, the Raptors were addressing more defensive needs. And the problem with putting so much emphasis on defense, eventually you're gonna have to score the ball. I felt that the Raptors were going to have that problem in the early going, which they did. But they were also nursing injuries, waiting teams to get healthy, COVID, what have you. The Raptors had a rough start to the season. As they began to get healthier, I definitely felt a little bit more comfortable with the way that they were heading. Loved the energy that they were bringing at that point. And lately, it has translated into wins, win streaks, a lot more positive. How would you grade that up until this point? I would give them a B. I think B is a fair grade for them at this point, especially since a, a lot of these quote unquote experts did not have the Raptors finishing with more than 38 wins. I believe I saw 31 at one point, but the number was wavering between 34 to 38 wins a season. And again, they're currently at 32 wins. So the Raptors will have no issue passing that range at this point. Now, some of the positives from this was the success of the small ball lineup. Now it led to our starters playing heavy minutes, but you can't really argue with the end result. Lately, those numbers have been bouncing out and the numbers I'm referring to are the minutes. They're being managed a lot better. The bench, some of the bench guys are playing a little bit more. Guys are able to get adequate rest, but Freddie is still leading the league in minutes, but we're winning games. So it's kind of reinforces that old saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Another positive would be seeing the growth and the elevation of the games of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. Freddie's having a career year, an all-star year. You love to see it. Siakam has become so important to this team, especially from a facilitation standpoint. And he's able to find that balance between creating for himself and others. Definitely love to see that growth. The emergence of Scotty Barnes, you love the energy, you love the effort, you love the attitude. And I think the most impressive thing for me with Scotty Barnes 
is that his role changes from night to night. He's not playing the same role. Sometimes he's a, he's a point guard, sometimes he's a center, sometimes he's on the perimeter hitting shots. Whatever is being thrown at him, he's doing his best to adapt with positive results more so than negative. Definitely one of the highlights of the season so far. Now, unfortunately, with positives, there's always some negative. So a few things that stood out to me on a negative front would be the lack of rotational minutes and our bench being non-existent. Now, we've seen what happens with Tom Thibodeau-led teams where he rides the starters and they break down during the season. And it's something that you don't want to see for the Raptors right now, especially with the success that they're having. But also in turn of that success with the small ball lineup is the lack of urgency to kind of tamper with the chemistry and the success that you have right now. But we do have capable bodies. It's a later part of the season. We've seen some ticky tack injuries, especially with Fred, Freddie, I believe he had, he, well, he has the right knee soreness and he had, I believe, a strain in the midsection area and so on and so forth. So you definitely want to prevent that from happening going forward. Another thing is that we're losing too many close games due to the fundamentals, which are free throws and our inconsistent transition defense. Now, we've lost so many games where the Raptors could have won had they made their free throws. And we've also seen them lose games and late game situations by not getting back in transition. Now, the Raptors have made it a point to be a team where they want to get up and down, take advantage of their athleticism, their length and their ability to get up and down the floor quickly. Well, in turn of that, you have to get back on defense. So you definitely want to see that change going forward, but it is a negative part of our game right now. And lastly, the non-exciting trade deadline. Now, while they did get a fair piece for Thaddeus, uh, trading for Thaddeus Young by trading away Goran Dragic and getting a second round pick. And we all know how the Raptors do with late round picks. We've seen success in that area, but we've heard after the fact that there were deals in place where they, they could have addressed the center spot and they did not want to pull the trigger to maintain cap flexibility for the next two to three years where important players are going to be coming off the books. So that is fair. However, their failure to address bench needs is where I take exception to. You don't have reliable pieces coming off the bench. And we see that with the, the lack of rotational minutes for the bench guys. So why not get at least one or two pieces where you feel a little bit more comfortable taking off our starters and putting these bench guys in the game? I think it would definitely help uh, Fred Van Vliet to have somebody to back him up and give him the necessary rest that he needs and another offensive option coming off the bench would do wonders for us right now but can't cry about it now the trade deadline has come and gone but 
it is a negative part of this grade that I gave them. So I think the, the B is fair for where the Raptors are right now. We're just going to have to see how this later half of the season pans out. So sticking with the Raptors idea of possibly starting a big either Cam Birch starting. You love what he's bringing lately. He's putting it all together or starting Chris Boucher, who was a defensive player of the year in the G League. And we saw his shot blocking on display against the Timberwolves. And he's found a way to be impactful with every opportunity he's been given. But with that, you're going to have to bench somebody. Now you're not benching your leaders, Freddie and Siakam. I think Gary Trent has forced everyone to ignore the idea of possibly entering anyone's mind again to putting him on the bench. So it comes down to Scotty Barnes and OG, both who have struggled lately. I think it's fair that we have a discussion about which one we would bench in this scenario. Now, I've seen on social media in regards to Scotty Barnes that people are starting to get very uneasy with him saying that he needs to come off the bench and whatnot and i think partially that has to do with the early success that he had in his first season and i feel that he should get a pass not entirely and we saw that happen with both barnes and og nick nurse pulled pulled them off the floor in the t wolves game and gave other people uh, an opportunity due to their struggles. But in Barnes' case, he's a rookie. His role is changing on a nightly basis. Someday he's a point guard, some days he's a center. It changes from game to game. So he's had to adjust and adapt. And you can't dispute the effort. Like even on his worst games, he's crashing the boards, he's getting assists, he's creating some shot blocking opportunities for himself. The energy is something consistent. And Fred Van Vliet is on record saying on NBA Today for the All-Star Weekend that he has no ceiling. He does everything. And that's high praise for a rookie coming from a now veteran guy and Fred Van Vliet and a leader, if not the leader, on our Raptors team. So you definitely want scotty barnes to be playing alongside of him now in og's case he's in year five i'll give credit where credit is due he's been more consistent this season he's being a little bit more reliable on the offensive end he does his best on the defensive end my only complaint with him is that he i feel that he gambles at the wrong time but nonetheless sometimes you have to take those risks in order to create opportunities so i'm not gonna nail him too much for that but my biggest issue with og is especially when guys like siakam and freddie or even trent is struggling or if they're out of the lineup og has been very underwhelming in those opportunities now with without having those key guys in the lineup you definitely want to see OG take advantage. For example, the Minnesota game with Fred Van Vliet being out, he finished with 10 points and five of those points came in the later stages 
of the game. But it's happened more than once this season. OG is at his best in a limited role. The ball less in his hand, more waiting for the ball to get to him in the corner to shoot the three or on, on the other side of the perimeter, getting out in transition. Less decision-making on his end makes him a far, effective, a far more effective player. But I feel that the Raptors have such high expectations. The Raptors fan base have tremendous expectations of OG to kind of take this leap like Pascal, like Freddie, and even Gary Trent up, on the, up until this point, which you definitely hope is something sustainable for the near future. I think OG has shown enough to, to us to say that he is who he is. He is going to be a limited player on the offensive end. He'll be a good player on the defensive end. We need to be a little bit more realistic. And I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And pressure can do one of two things. We saw what it did to Pascal. It can either become diamonds or turn you into dust. So with all that being said, I definitely feel that OG will be the one that I will be putting on the bench. I think he'll be far more successful in a limited role, in a specific role. I think that it'll do wonders for Scotty Barnes' growth, whom, again, Freddie said, has no ceiling. So you definitely don't want to stifle that right now. He does a little bit more even when he's struggling. OG struggled in the Minnesota game and there was no steals and he had three turnovers, three bad turnovers at that. Now, again, it's a small sample size. I'm not saying that that is the only thing factoring my decision to put him on the bench, but I do feel that it'll give our bench a boost. I feel that OG will be able to be in a far more advantageous position with less pressure on him and especially going against second unit guys. I think it's time that we consider that. And I think it's fair to say that the reason why we're playing this small ball lineup is for the fact that we still have OG on the floor. They're doing their best to incorporate him, use his his intangibles to be uh, a contributor on this team. But I feel that we need to shift our focus a little bit, focus on the future, focus on the potential of a superstar like Scotty Barnes. So sticking with the Raptors once again, this past week on February 16th, Fred Van Vliet in partnership with the Uninterrupted Series dropped his mini documentary is about an hour long parlay bet on yourself and it covered his upbringing the loss of his father the introduction of a new father figure into his life taking all the adversity and the challenges that his family had to still be motivated to play basketball at a high level while meeting the challenges that come along with playing basketball, his college accomplishments, to going undrafted, to finally making the Raptors lineup, to becoming an NBA champion, and finally an all-star, to know that he accomplished all those things and not be satisfied with it. He, he's, 
he was on NBA Today saying that he's not satisfied with being a one-time All-Star. He wants to win more championships. I can't think of a better leader to take the Raptors to new heights and just have so much more appreciation for the man known as Fred Van Vliet. I was a fan before. I'm even a bigger fan now after watching that mini docuseries on him. If you haven't seen it, I believe it's on TSN. Definitely put that high on your priority list. It's just a great story. Can't say this enough. Fred Van Vliet is just a special human being and you get to see all of that in that parlay bet on yourself so again go out and see it now shifting our focus from the raptors we are now focusing on the rest of the association more particularly the nba all-star weekend that kicked off on friday night with the celebrity all-star game and the NBA Rising Stars Challenge for the rookies and sophomores. My intention was to do a full review after the weekend has concluded. Definitely did not work out that way. I was excited to talk about it, so let's just roll with it. I was very curious to know how this new format would work. In previous years, we'd have the rookie versus sophomore in a NCAA format where they have two halves of 20 minutes the nba did do something different this year having four teams made up of the rookies and sophomores being coached by hall of famers rick barry isaiah thomas gary payton and james worthy in celebration of the nba 75th anniversary we had two games where team a would verse team b so Now shifting focus from the Raptors onto the rest of the association, more particularly the NBA All-Star Weekend that kicked off on Friday night. Now my intention was to do a full review after the NBA All-Star Weekend concluded, but did not happen that way. So we're gonna do a review of the Friday night and do the rest in in a later episode. So let's just roll with it. In the years past, we had the rookies versus sophomore and a two half 20 minute NCAA style type of game. The NBA did something a little different this year and came up with a tournament style to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the NBA. So we had four teams being coached by Hall of Famers, Rick Barry, James Worthy, Gary Payton, and Isaiah Thomas. And the first team to score 50 in both games would move on to a final game where they would have to play each other to a game of 25 and the first one to 25 would win the tournament again 50 and 25 in celebration of the 75th anniversary for the nba and the games were competitive they were fun they were entertaining everything of the sort Scotty Barnes was teamed up with the likes of LaMelo Ball on Team Peyton and Precious Achua was on Team Isaiah. And Scotty Barnes unfortunately did not have a very good game. Uh, Team Peyton was very perimeter oriented, so not Scotty Barnes 
strong suit. In comparison to his counterpart and teammate Precious Achua on Team Isaiah, who made the finals against Team Barry, had a massive game scoring 12 points for Team Isaiah. And a hilarious part of that game towards the, uh, the last few moments of the game, Precious Chua looked off a wide open Desmond Bain. And Desmond Bain has become one of the, the deadliest perimeter threats in the game right now, especially in the early part of his career. And he looked him off and he took a three. He did not miss it and Isaiah, uh, or did not hit it. He missed it and Isaiah Thomas quickly yanked him out of, of the game. You, you wish that Nick Nurse would do the same for him to remind him of what his limitations are, but you definitely love the confidence that he will take those kind of shots. We just want him to take them at the right time. And that was not the time to take it, but nonetheless, Team Barry ends up winning the game and beating Team Isaiah 25 to 20. Cade Cunningham finishing with a total of 18 points and winning MVP for the game. But prior to the finals game, we had the Clorox Clutch Challenge where the teams had to recreate iconic shots. You had the magic uh, hook shot across the lane against the celtics he had the ray allen corner three the charles barkley shot at the top of the key the uh, the reggie miller shot against the bulls where he pushed off michael and then we had the the dame lillard almost logo three that he had against okc and at first when they were talking about it i didn't know what to expect but they just had to go to the spots and shoot from the area and recreation of those shots, iconic shots that I had previously mentioned. And it ended up being won by Tyrese Halliburton and De Desmond Bain. You had to do it within uh, a certain time frame, which I believe was a minute and 30 seconds that you had to conclude it. They were able to do it in 39.1 seconds. So it was definitely entertaining love the entire Friday night, the celebrity all-star game. We didn't know too many people. It wasn't very entertaining basketball, but nonetheless, to cap off the Friday night, the first night with the Rising Stars challenge, it was definitely enjoyable. Loved every moment of it. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the weekend. So enough about the all-star game. I'm gonna focus on that. And the next episode, I wanna focus on a former Raptor DeMar DeRozan, whom has elevated his game to a point where he is being considered, or at least in the conversation, or should be in the conversation for MVP. The Chicago Bulls are sitting in the second spot, tied for first with the Miami Heat with a 38 wins and 21 loss record. DeMar is averaging 28 points per game on 51% shooting, shooting 34% from three, which is an increase from his previous percentage. And he is carrying this team without Zach Levine. Now this team on the whole has not been the healthiest and for them to still find ways to win games, being led by DeMar, 
And in the fashion that he's doing it, he just passed Will Chamberlain for most games in a row with 35 plus points on 50% shooting from the field, which is absolutely insane. Not to mention the, the facilitator that he's now become being able to read double teams more and just literally able to pick apart defenses at will. It's just so enjoyable to see on ESPN first take Stephen A uh, labeled him the most underappreciated all-star and I can't think of a better way to describe DeMar at this point in his career and we we've seen glimpses of it as a Toronto Raptors fan. Unfortunately, it did not translate into the playoffs, but we've seen DeMar take over games and you definitely feel with the shift in markets from San Antonio to being in a more, I guess, celebrated and iconic team like the Chicago Bulls that people are taking notice and he's getting the accolades that he deserves. Now, in the pre in previous episodes, I've mentioned my dislike for picking MVPs in the middle of the season, but the NBA has a, an MVP ladder which changes on, on on a week-to-week basis. And I find it absolutely absurd that DeMar DeRozan is number nine right now behind the likes of Devin Booker. I mean, you can make arguable cases for Luka Doncic and John Morant, who are both having tremendous seasons, but more so Luka now after the Porzingis trade, he's elevated his game to another level. But DeMar DeRozan has been doing this on a far more consistent level at a more efficient level and the fact that he is number nine right now is just does not make sense to me uh, i do believe that Embiid is the front runner followed by Jokic. they have Giannis Antetokounmpo at number three i think the bucks have been underwhelming um what he's the best player on the team he's the engine of that team in partnership with Drew Holiday. Chris Paul deserves honorable mention, but I think if you were gonna put MVP right now, it would be Joel, Damar, and Jokic at, at the two spot. I think both both players are having tremendous seasons, but for me, the deciding factor which team has is having the better record right now, who's who's the most important player to a team right now and as much as this, their similarities to Jokic and DeMar leading their respective teams with key play, key players out you gotta give the edge to DeMar he's just been so dominant and people are taking notice and you love to see it which brings me to my last topic Anthony Davis on the Lakers who went down with another injury on February 16th with a 106-101 victory over the Utah Jazz. In the second quarter, he went up to catch a lob from Malik Monk and he came down on Rudy Gobert's heel. He ended up turning his ankle, he fell to the floor. Now, if you look at that play, knowing Anthony Davis, I probably would not have went for that play regardless of the lob pass. Now. Rudy Gobert is not going to give you anything easy on the inside. And it seemed like if you were to watch the replay, 
it did not look like he was going to finish the lob anyways. So why he would put himself in a high risk play did not make sense to me. And now we, we later on find out that what looked like an ankle sprain where he was going to be out for two weeks ended up becoming a midfoot injury, mind you. And he's to be reevaluated re in four weeks. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. In order for the Lakers to have success, Anthony Davis needs to be healthy. And unfortunately for him, he has not been the healthiest coming from last season. But overall, his career, I think only twice he's broken over the 75 game mark and multiple times it was low to mid 60s but nonetheless when you are anthony davis and when healthy you are one of the best big men in the league you're only going to be as good as you are available and i think it was last season that charles barkley alluded to anthony davis being in the prime of his career and always being injured which does does not make sense where the name anthony street clothed davis was born which is quite funny but also justified i mean 28 years old making the amount of money that you are i know he fought i know he changed trainers and you definitely wonder what his off-season regimen is which causes him to be injured all the time you see lebron and chris paul make investments in their body i think it's time that anthony davis definitely makes the same consideration take his and I mean, I don't want to be critical of the amount of money. I mean, he's earned it. They're, they're getting paid as athletes to do so. But if you have the resources, definitely take advantage of them. You know, we've seen many players, again, like LeBron, like Chris Paul, like Tom Brady, like Tim Duncan, uh, change their diets in order for them to have long and illustrious careers. And I think in order for Anthony Davis to go along the same wavelength he's gonna have to make that kind of adjustment and investment more importantly if you're the lakers organization what do you do i know the media is suggesting now uh, they're shifting their focus off of westbrook and they're now suggesting that the lakers should entertain the idea of moving anthony davis and if you're a team looking or interested in anthony davis do you want to take the risk that comes along with taking on a player with Anthony Davis track record. Now, when healthy, again, one of the best players in the league, but is he going to be available? And as I mentioned in previous episodes, the best ability is availability. And Anthony Davis has a very hard time in the span of his career, making himself available. So, a lot of question marks, especially for a team like the Lakers with LeBron in his in his 18th year, being 37 years old. Is he going to be able to pick up the slack when Davis is gone and lead you to a long playoff run? He's done it many times before, but being older, and we all know Father Time is undefeated, we don't know if this is going to be a recipe for the, of success for the Lakers. So... It's definitely going to be interesting. A lot of the drama in La La Land, but also not surprising. They've always been like that. Which brings us to the conclusion of this episode. So as I previously mentioned, 
I will be doing a full review of the NBA All-Star Weekend. We did Friday in this episode, so it'll only be Saturday and Sunday night. So keep an eye out for that. I will be previewing the Raptors next game, which is Friday, February 25th against the Charlotte Hornets once again. And I do believe that the NBA resumes basketball on the 24th of February, which is this coming Thursday. Definitely hope that the Raptors are are healed up and ready to go for this late season push. You love the position that they're in right now, which is a play-in. I love our chances in a play-in, but if we can avoid the play-in tournament where anything can happen. Similarly to being in the top six, I think the security would be a lot more satisfying to Raptors fans. Hit me up on Instagram to find everything Raptors related and any news in regards to the podcast at live by the period number three that is l-i-v-e-b-y-t-h-e dot number three give me a shout comment on the post let's interact on there i welcome it so let's put it to good use thank you once again for joining me look out for the next episode And please stay safe, good people. Peace.